The following is a special sponsored edition of the Big Four Bio Podcast. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Big Four Bio Podcast. The financial pressures on biotechs these days are forcing companies to shelve programs, slash their burn rates, and cut employees. In addition to the challenges companies face keeping their teams motivated in the face of adversity, they may find the tight labor market is making it difficult to find the talent they need. We spoke to Ann Darda, Managing Director of the Human Resources Consulting Practice for Danforth Advisors, about the HR challenges biotech companies are facing today, how they can keep people focused when setbacks occur, and what it takes to build resilience into their corporate cultures. And thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Danny. It's good to be here today. We're going to talk about the difficult financial environment for biotech companies how to motivate employees and how to keep them focused during times of uncertainty. We're at a strange time. The pace of innovation is accelerating, but the readily available funding the industry has enjoyed for the past several years is no longer flowing as it once did. As someone who advises life sciences companies, what are you seeing across biotech today? It does continue to be a sobering time. According to Fierce Bio, from January through August 1st of this year, there's been 88 companies who have reported reduction in force. If the trend continues through the rest of the year, that will be a 50% increase of companies reporting a reduction in force over 2022. So it's sobering. Additionally, venture capital funding has dropped over 20% over the last couple of years, and the number of deals have dropped by 360 or more deals over the last couple of years. So it certainly is not the readily available funds uh, in the marketplace. So what does that mean? What we're seeing is a continued shift from rapid growth and a lot of IPOs and expansion to a focus on doing more with less. And a sprint to try and reach key milestones while there's still cash runway. What we do continue to see is a passion for science and the chance to change the lives of patients. A keen focus on goals, knowing and caring for employees, and being clear about an organization's distinction or value add continues. When you see companies making cuts like this and shelving programs. I think there's a natural tendency to think about people who leave a company at such times, but what's the challenge for companies in terms of managing the people who remain? How do you keep them focused and how do you ensure they stay rather than look for opportunities elsewhere? So many people are attracted to mission-driven organizations and they want to make a significant impact. So they seek out organizations and they want to stay at organizations where they have 
Um, they can influence decision-making. They want to work for managers who encourage their learning and mentor their day-to-day learning so they can grow and develop. These are the basics that motivate employees. And it's much easier to ride the waves of expansion and contraction when there's a fundamental understanding of the industry um, and understand the overall context. So for those leaders that may be new to industry, bringing them along and having um, teaching them an understanding about the industry and the ebbs and flows that are natural is often really helpful. You know, in times of stress, it's essential to stay very close to employees, making sure there's an understanding of how they think, how they feel about the situation, where their concerns lie, and of course, a keen focus on what the overall organization's trying to do and how they can play a part. You know, we all get busy and sometimes those things go by the wayside. So it's especially important when things are difficult. And if there's a strong company culture, it will definitely help to influence employees' allegiance. Despite the cuts we're seeing biotech companies make, it is a tight labor market right now. We're at a 54-year low in unemployment. How able are companies to find the talent they need today? And what steps are they taking to ensure they have the right people in the job? The biotech sector continues to experience headwinds. On a weekly basis, I receive layoff announcements and several resume books listing all the employees that have been laid off. However, we are also hearing from biotech companies that hiring remains highly competitive, particularly in the clinical and technical tracks. This is especially true of biotech companies that are using artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities to build their platforms. You know, and the forward-looking organizations who take the time to build out hiring and capacity plans based on probable scenarios allows themselves to understand the go-no-go decisions and what they need to progress the organization in terms of skills and capabilities. For each scenario, a workforce plan can be established with a keen focus on the critical roles required and how best to execute that plan. So the more that's done ahead of time, the more that's done in the planning stage for various situations and scenarios, which talent, which skill sets are needed now versus down the road will help companies get ahead of the curve in terms of looking for talent, particularly in clinical and technical tracks. How do these various ups and downs affect compensation and and the way HR professionals have to think about compensation in terms of both retention and recruitment? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's very much on the minds of many, many people right now. You know, compensation is one of many factors that drive attractiveness uh, and engagement of employees to various companies. Um, you know, there's other factors that are that are very important, such as transparency, decision-making ability, a collaborative environment, a mission-driven organization. So having a systemic or holistic approach to all of these factors when thinking about employee value proposition, when thinking about attracting and retaining talent um, is really important. Now, let's talk about compensation. Compensation... Um, clearly, you know, influences how attractive a situation is for an employee. It may not be the primary driver in a mission-driven organization, but it has to make sense and be competitive. You know, I would say that 
engaging a highly skilled compensation consultant to review the details of ensuring there is a comp philosophy, as well as stakeholder buy-in to the overall approach is essential. There are many decisions to be made and things to consider, particularly in this market. The, the conversations that are happening at all levels are what do we do if our equity is underwater? It's a complex issue with various different avenues and vehicles for consideration, including cash in lieu of equity or using a mix of RSUs versus options and many other considerations. So in short, I would say having a holistic view to all the different levers for engagement is important and ensuring a comp philosophy that makes sense is practical um, and is something that is not a distraction so that people feel like they're compensated fairly along the lines of what the market will bear so they can focus on the bigger, important scientific questions. This is an industry where failure is an everyday occurrence. For every drug that succeeds, there'll be non-clinical failures. What happens inside an organization when a drug fails? How does that create uncertainty or anxiety among employees? And how can management best navigate those situations? It's certainly not an easy storm to weather. Um, you know, I think biotech, particularly early stage biotech, but all of biotech is fraught with challenges and disappointments and setbacks. Um, and having a general understanding, there are many, many people, particularly scientific focus roles where people are new to industry. So bringing people along, educating employees on how the industry works, on the ups and downs expected, um, and then having a strong foundation and a strong culture so that there's connectivity and engagement regardless of the ebbs and flows of what's happening at any given time. You know, I think when things get really rough, something that I have found incredibly helpful um, working with different organizations is to increase communication, having regular cascade of communication vehicles and really listening extra closely to where employees are at and making sure, even if, the, if there isn't much to communicate, even if there isn't much changing from the previous time period, that there is a cascade that is set in stone so people understand with all the things that are moving, that there is a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly meetings where there's space for them to ask questions and to get their questions answered. People work hard in this industry. Many of them are motivated by the projects they're working on because they may have a loved one with a, a certain disease, may have met patients with a condition, and are, are really driven to do the work they're doing. But what are the things that happen within a company that can have a negative impact on employee motivation? I'd like to come at this from what positively impacts employees' motivation. A couple of the things, there's been much written about this topic, what drives employee motivation. And overall, you know, there are differing degrees um, by individual of what they find motivating. However, there are some common factors, such as 
wanting to influence decisions, wanting to shape an organization, wanting to make a difference. Those are common motivating factors for people in biotech and life sciences as a whole, particularly because it's so mission driven. So if you're a person who wants to shape the future of the company, wants to shape and make an impact on patients, and you're involved in all kinds of decision-making in the early stages, and as time goes by and the company grows, perhaps a person is not involved in every single meeting or every single decision. It's just the natural course of growth. That can be disengaging for people. So having people understand you know, how growth happens, what's important for them to focus on, that their input is very important, um, will be helpful. How important is it for leadership within a company to communicate clearly, both in good times and bad times, with employees as to what's happening? You know, one of the critical factors is understanding and sort of institutionalizing the vision, the mission, the values of an organization that helps anchor people to the North Star, if you will. If the foundation is laid at the beginning of an organization's life cycle, everything else can sort of be tethered or connected or based upon that fundamental. And then it gets easier because whether things are going well or things are not going well, it's still the focus is on the fundamental. Um, what are we trying to do? What kind of company do we want to be? What do we expect as we come together as a collective? And I think the reiteration of that and the more the message is the same over time, the more it'll help orient people. Also, you know, understanding what the goals are and the goals change over time and how individuals and the collective are doing against those goals um, are very helpful for a group of people to understand the context. And it's often very appreciated to understand the context. There's a certain amount of uncertainty that's inherent in this business. What can leadership do to embrace that and, and build resilience into their corporate cultures? Yeah, resilience is, is an amazing thing. Um, you know, leaders can clearly define for the employee population, what success looks like, what is failure, if you will, uh, look like, and what is their expectations of everyone in the organization? You know, I've often heard scientists say there is no such thing as failure. It's simply an unexpected data point. Uh, that perspective is helpful when pioneering new science, when there's just so much we don't know in, ter in terms of looking at the new information in terms of saying, okay, now we know something we didn't know last week. What is the next best step? I've also read that resilience is characterized by problem solving, emotional regulation, and having strong social connections. You know, and leaders who role model these behaviors and avoid blame and punishment are doing well to build resilience. There are natural inflection points life science companies go through as they grow and change. With success, companies get bigger and more organizationally complex. What kind of a challenge does that put on a company's culture? And does leadership need to take steps to be 
protective of that? Do they need to guide its evolution? I would say they need to guide its evolution. I'll share an example. A few years ago, I worked for an organization that was focused only on research. And then we went through a period of rapid growth when we added development and we added manufacturing. So all of a sudden we went from a 25 person organization to very quickly a 30, 40, 50 person organization. And the early researchers um, started feeling marginalized, like, well, what, there's all these other people. And I guess I used to do A to Z and now I do A to you know F. And the question became, you know, so how do we handle this? And so what we did is we had a celebration of what had been done to date. What have we accomplished over the last several years? And really celebrating and calling out what, what worked well and what we don't want to lose. And then focusing our attention on getting into the clinic and what is required to get into the clinic and how these added people and departments and focus and skill sets are going to help us get there. Um, and it, people start getting excited about getting closer to the clinic and getting closer to being able to help people and treat different diseases. So I would say, you know, understanding where you are in the inflection and why it's happening and celebrating the past and where you want to go from here to take the next step in your evolution. Evolution is needed and necessary. Um, and why the greater context of why and what it can give us all is really helpful. A lot of what we're talking about here is really a, a corporate culture. What role does HR play in helping define and, and shape a company's culture and, and guarding it as an organization grows? You know, I see HR or some people like to refer to people in culture, the Department of People and Culture Leaders as stewards. Culture is owned by everyone. And of course, leadership plays a very significant role in how they role model the behaviors and how they communicate with everyone. And HR's role is really to have a pulse on the employee sentiment, um, along with an understanding of the business and the board of director requirements and what it takes to focus a group of people on making a difference in the lives of patients. It's not a small ask. It's a lot of different things, but the, the fundamental thing HR can do is ask the important questions, look at how everyone understands what it is we're trying to do, and if everyone understands what's important and how we do that. So it's the what and it's the how. A lot of what we're talking about here is really a, a corporate culture. What role does HR play in helping define and and shape a company's culture and, and guarding it as an organization grows? You know, we talked a little bit about this. I think, you know, the fundamentals need to be in place so that everyone has a North Star to help orient themselves. You know, this includes vision, mission, and values. And values, you know, many companies have values. So, for example, collaboration is a common value. Um, however, making that real at a particular company, um, making sure the values are built into um, how we recruit, how we promote, how we 
rate performance is all key in making it real. Um, but I think having a North Star is really important. And then as you grow and as things shift, making room for new employees, making room for it to be additive. And I think that's where you get the richness and the difference and allowing for differences yet oriented to the North Star. I've I've seen how a essential culture can be in a company's success. At the same time, I don't think you can just impose a culture on a company. It's something that has to grow somewhat organically, but but also needs to be nurtured, reinforced, and as a company grows, communicated. How can a company most effectively do that? I think one thing is to, you know, ensure the, the, the foundation is in place, right? So keep coming back to the vision, mission, and values. How does that make sense? Um, based on how the company is changing, do we revisit any of those things? Um, being clear about where we've been as an organization and where we're going. I think having a systemic or holistic approach about all the variables in our power to change or shift uh, and help bring people along, such as, you know, what is our strategy? How are our structures set up? Uh, what management processes do we have in place? What kind of rewards and recognition do we have? And how do all of these things um, come together to create an organization where people feel like they can bring their best to work? You work with many early and growth stage life science companies. A lot of these companies may start out with a rather casual view toward HR functions. They may have a small team and can be very focused on hitting early milestones. How soon should companies think about putting HR pieces in place, like having hiring policies and employee handbooks and defining their mission and values and thinking through their approach to compensation? You know, it's so true. I mean, some of the early stage companies, the question comes up, well, why do we need HR? I mean, isn't it just common sense, you know, ways of how we're going to get things done? Um, and the answer is, mm, not really. Not if you're thinking about both today and tomorrow. Uh, and I think early stage company leaders, especially if they're new to leading an organization, what resonates with them is um, asking great questions and offering optionalities um, for solution. So when I'm talking to early stage company leadership, I often ask good questions such as, has the organization identified critical priorities? Um, is there alignment ensuring accountability for the strategy across the organization? Is there a method for assessing and aligning goals? Uh, questions like this, and I could go on and on with many, many questions, but asking the questions to help leaders think about things that may not be front of mind when focusing on the science. That is the first thing. And yes, in the earliest stages of a, a company, the focus is on operational fundamentals. How are we going to pay people? How are we going to attract them? What kind of, how do we hire well? Um, you know, what kind of place are we trying to build? But it quickly gets into longer term strategic questions 
which will help the company not have to unravel and go backwards and redo things later on as they grow. So, you know, being a thought partner to the leadership in terms of thinking through, well, how are we going to build a team? How do we balance the skills across the leadership team? What kind of place do we want to build? Um, what is needed to execute our vision today, tomorrow, and in a few years? How about in terms of making the decision whether to build HR functions in-house or outsourcing those? Yes, there's a few things to think about. I think one thing to think about is the amount of cash runway an organization has and how they want to use that um, in the in the way that will best be efficient and effective in getting them where they want to go. Often, you can, companies can afford much higher expertise and can really reap benefits from advisory services that have seen many, many companies across the industry, that have seen what works best, what they've seen the pitfalls across the full suite of HR offerings, such as salary, benefits, leadership development, hiring, um, engagement, culture. And so that often makes sense um, to use very experienced HR advisors um, and or can also do the tactical pieces as well. Eventually, organizations like to consider when the time is, if there's an infusion or incredibly rapid growth, they may want to begin building out an HR team. There's often some portion of outsourcing that goes on because HR is such a broad area and wanting to use experts in the different areas is off, often of great advantage. We talked a bit about keeping employees motivated and the role HR and the executive team plays in this, but how about the leadership teams themselves? How can they keep themselves motivated and, and positive when things don't go the way they had hoped? I think this is where having a team that has spent time on becoming a team um, has built trust over time, working through projects together, understanding that they can trust and rely on each other. Um, hopefully not everyone is in a, a dip at the same time and coaching and mentoring each other and bringing each other along, you know, having a lot of creative ideation is awfully often energizing, especially when looking, when something goes unexpectedly, how we can leverage the situation or make a pivot or do what's needed. That's where team effectiveness really comes in. Those organizations and teams that have invested in some of the fundamentals, such as team norms or agreements and a clear, clear idea of understanding of what each different area does and how they contribute to the overall goal. And an appreciation for each other comes in really, really well. Um, it's easier to get those things started and to focus on them from the beginning. And then as the team grows and expands, folding the new folks into the team and bringing them along is very important so that when things become difficult, there's already a nice baseline there. I think additionally how, you know, a strong culture helps as well. So if there's a focus on what's possible, if there's a focus on let's learn from the new data point and let's make our next best decision, will definitely help in those challenges. And then, of course, we're all, regardless of what we do, we're all challenged with coming out of a pandemic and having increasingly more remote work situations. 
And how do we do self-care? Are we sleep well, eat well, exercise and connect and have a strong social network, whether that's with our colleagues or with a greater population as well? All things to try and balance and, and keep focused on. And Darda, Managing Director of Human Resources Consulting Practice for Danforth Advisors. And thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Big Four Bio Podcast is brought to you by Big Four Bio, the leading aggregator service of the top life sciences regions around the world. To subscribe for free to Big Four Bio's daily newsletters, go to big4bio.com. This podcast is produced by the Levine Media Group for Big Four Bio. Our theme music is provided for the podcast by the Jonah Levine Collective and appears on the album Attention Deficit. Alpha Pup Records. <laughs>